When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 430 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and to help me break down the 2-2 draw with Manchester United that we have had plenty of time to digest now is a man who was there last night, a.k.a. Levon, a.k.a. well, it's not a.k.a. His name is Levon, uh, then a.k.a. Barca Web. So how's it going, Levon? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. A bit under the weather, so I hope that people can hear me well enough. Other than that, I can't complain. Friday, weekend. Yep. Another, another Barca game to go to on Sunday. Yep, so, and yeah, hopefully that one might be a little more straightforward. But hey, we'll, we'll get into that and, and worry about that in a second. Because I think focusing on Manchester United, there's two big topics that we kind of have to start off with being the day afterwards that have kind of stayed in the zeitgeist, stayed in the discussion point. And starting with, because you were there too, do you feel like Barcelona lost? And, and I do this in quotes to kind of elicit something. Do you feel like Barcelona lost the 2-2 draw and Manchester United won it the way that it seems like the two fan bases, at least those online, were portraying it, or portraying it as? I mean, um, in the sense that I think Barcelona came in here as, uh, came into this draw as clear favorites and Manchester United got a draw out of it. They won the draw. But based on what we saw on the, on the pitch, uh, we won the draw because Manchester United was the better team. I completely agree with that. That's actually, I think that's the right sentiment too. I think Manchester United could come away with it and say, hey, why didn't we get those points? And for Barcelona in that same way, I think 
we're going to get to the Pedri stuff later, so we're going to put it in pin in that, but that's definitely a huge part of, of this game. Tactically, the things that change in that, but going all the way back to the beginning of it, the, I think the big topic number two here is the questions about Xavi, more so than it was about the, the playing style, the way that it actually happened on the field, the different ebbs and flows, because it seems like to me, when you watch the Liga game, you get kind of the same two or three tactical nuances that you kind of focus. I mean, I find this for the five headlines, right? I focus on two or three tactical things throughout the game. They change ever so slightly when the subs come in, but it's generally the same idea. Then you go to Europe and it seems like these games, and it should be the case when you're talking about some of the best teams in Europe, that there are so many different stages and phases of the game. And one substitute in those games really does change so much. So I think going back to the beginning and what people are criticizing Xavi on is certainly the starting lineup. So I would ask you really straight up when you saw that lineup, what were your thoughts when you saw Jordi Alba, Marcus Alonso, particularly over Balde and Christensen in that 11? I mean, I was surprised. Everybody uh, everybody yeah. who I talked to um, was surprised. There were a lot of fans outside of the stadium. And um, I spoke to quite some people and everybody was like, oh, Alonso, really? And also Jordi Alba. I was also surprised. Um, I think Xavi expected uh, Manchester United to sit back a lot more. Uh, and they didn't because that's where, okay, maybe... You want Jordi Alba's passing, I suppose. I don't freak out over lineups as much because it doesn't really do do me any good. And you never know how a game is going to develop, even though, yeah, I, th- I think all of us agree that Andreas Christensen is a better choice at centre-back than, than Alonso. But, I mean, if anything, Xavi should have started Christensen instead of Jules Koundé. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, there, there, there's that, that also, yeah. Yeah, well, I think there's the two big things there is that one, I think not to defend Xavi, but I want to say I want to defend his ideas leading in. You know, I had the tactical breakdown both in the video and the podcast, and the idea was going to be, and I kind of predicted there'd be a Rajo on that right at the right back spot to kind of deal with Rashford, because I think looking at what Manchester United had done over the last two months when they've been in great form, why would they change things up too much? So I think what Xavi was thinking and why he got it wrong was that one, I think he expected, as you mentioned, a mid block which would mean that De Jong would drop in as a third center back without Busquets there. So De Jong would have to drop in as he, as he did even in the game. And then Alonso was going to be pushing out to the left as he did. And then Alba was just going to be living against that mid block in that space uh, on the left side, because Gabi would be coming in as that inside forward. And that give Alba plenty of room to, to bring in those crosses as opposed to Balde, who's able to dribble kind of inside or again, go around his crossing isn't necessarily the, the same level that Alba's is. And then you'd also want, the left foot of Alonso in that spot in buildup as that left center back all the way out to the wing instead of Christensen on his right. So I know that Xavi said that he was rotating because there's too many matches and too many different competitions over the next few days, but certainly anybody else would have rotated against Cadiz instead of against against Manchester United, regardless of whether or not you're promoting or regardless of whether or not you're putting the emphasis on the Liga or Europa League, whatever it is. Like the, the game is the game, the opponent is the opponent. So you, you rotate that way. Yeah. You know, and then the other argument too, I think this is actually where the in-game mistake came. And the other place where I want to be critical of Xavi is that you're right about the Kunde and Araujo thing. It was a really rough game for, for Jules Kunde, but it wasn't just Kunde. I think going back and looking at tactically where the game was, Araujo was unprepared for the when Barcelona were building out of the back, especially through Jules Kunde. Araujo's positioning was way too far away from him. He should have been a little more perpendicular to him on a number of occasions because he was just way too high up. In, and he had to do that because he was also supporting Rafinha. But he, he was playing as if Rafinha was Dembele, but Rafinha isn't Dembele positionally. And so Araujo 
didn't necessarily have to do that. So when Rafinha was coming back to the ball a little bit on the right side in a way that Dembele doesn't, you want to spring Dembele forward. It was, it felt like Araujo was way too close to Rafinha in that same space on the right side. And then Kunde was kind of getting stuck with the ball. And that meant that when he would turn it over on the occasions he did, then he, that being Barcelona were out of position. So the way that Xavi rectified this is in the 67th minute when the subs came in, he also used that opportunity to switch Araujo back to the center back spot and Kunde to the right. But I felt like that was a mistake by Xavi where he should have recognized way earlier. I mean, by the 10th minute, yeah. when you saw that Rashford was in the middle, you've got to make that switch right away. And him not doing that, I think, killed Barcelona because it wasn't that Kunde was poor on the field. Kunde was poor as a center back. I thought Araujo actually was kind of sloppy with the ball as well in a way that he hasn't been over Barcelona's recent run. I thought they were, I, and, and just a bigger thing on the game. I, I don't think you could tell it here. I know people thought it was a great fun because it went wire to wire, but starting with the back line for both teams and moving up, I felt like there was a lot of different players that I looked at individually who were kind of sloppy. Like I didn't think it was a high caliber, a great played game. I, I thought it was actually mistakes from both sides and a lot of mistakes is what even led to the goals. Like I, I didn't think it was yeah. like premium European football. Yeah, like, well, but even premium European football is usually mistakes that lead to goals. I thought Araujo was solid on the ball. Also, if, you know, positioning-wise, Araujo is a, a bit too far far up, then could they can pass the ball back to, to Ter Stegen. Which is so, what he did. Which is what he did quite a lot, yeah. But I, I, I think Kunde was, was poor on the ball and not great in defense either. Um, I agree with you that... Xavi should have recognized Rashford's positioning and made that switch. Um, but I also think that it's not until uh, the the second half that Rashford really started attacking uh, Alonso more. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, uh, Rashford was false nine, let's say, but since he's right-footed, he likes to receive the ball a, a, bit, a bit more on the left. But it's in the second half, obviously, that Ten Hag really told him, like, no, look, this is where the weakness is. That's where, where I want you to, to attack. And I also thought that Kessé was decent in a position that I usually don't like him. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he did quite well, but it's so disappointing because we're looking, we're so much looking forward to a big European win for Barca, a convincing win against a quality European opponent. And in that sense, uh, it feels like um, we lost an opportunity here, especially because when you look at Manchester United on paper, they have Weghorst as a nine. You know, they have uh, Sancho, who is basically a flop. They have Fred in that midfield. On, on paper, they're not about much. Mm-hmm. And we, we, should have, we should have done a lot better than, than we did. But fair play to Manchester United. They played a great game of football. And they are now clear favorites uh, in the, the leg in Old Trafford. Yeah, I mean, I think the huge part of it, too, that Barcelona were still suffering from, and I think this is where my frustration as a Kool-Aid comes, is that it felt like, yes, Xavi got himself in trouble by picking the lineup that he did. Because as I said, it's not that Chris, that Alonso is any issue as a squad player. It's again, just the moment and the matches that you're asking of these different players. Because the problem with Alonso is not that it's Marcus Alonso, because he even scored the goal too. I mean, he also had a block, by the way, after he let, after Rashford kind of got to that spot, Ter Stegen probably should have saved that at the near post. So Alonso forced him outside the way he was supposed to. The minute later, he gets a block too. So it's not like Alonso had a terrible, completely ghastly game, but he was the weakness, of course, that Christensen isn't. And so again, it's not an insult to Alonso. It's just the drop-off from Christensen to Alonso is a bit too much in the way that, and this is a huge part of this tactics as well, from that first half to the second half. The drop-off from Pedri to Sergio Roberto isn't a knock on Sergio Roberto. It's a fact that Barcelona has to change the way they play because Roberto cannot do things that Pedri does. 
for example, I mean, this is just, you can go back and watch the game again. There are so many times I counted three or four times as I, I was actually was writing it. The first time I saw it happen, I went, Oh, that might be a problem here. But Roberto does not turn on the ball out of pressure or upfield. He doesn't, he does a half turn maybe, but he does not, he does not do the full 180. He does not change direction with a ball and, and dribble himself out of trouble. He passes himself out of trouble and he makes the, the smart decision. He makes the right decisions. He makes the safe decisions. I don't think Roberto did anything wrong yesterday, if that makes any sense, right? He didn't do anything incorrect. But what he does is he delays the quickness of the attack. He delays any. He delays the counter by one or two or three passes, which allows Manchester United to get back into what was kind of their settled in their mid-block. Because Pedri's ability too, I saw it late in the second half, Pedri's ability to retain the ball and dribble himself out of trouble is something, again, that Roberto also can't do. So it's not, again, a knock on Roberto in the midfield. It's that what Pedri allows Barcelona and Xavi to do. I mean, even the positioning of Gabi, when you look at the heat maps in the second half of those passing channels, where in the first half, you could see that clearly the numerical overload was there. Gabi was pushed farther to the left to create a, a, a kind of a small window, you know, those little triangles and squares between Alba and Alonso and Kunde passing in. And then Kessie was there as well with the young kind of working almost as a pendulum and wherever he needed to be on whatever side of the field to create the numerical variance behind dropping the three center backs. So when you look at the heat map in the first half, it makes sense. You go, okay, that's what Xavi's been trying to do recently. Numerical overload on the left, kind of let Rafinha cook. And I, we can talk about Rafinha next after this because I thought he was good. But, you know, Pedri, not only does he cover so much space physically with his legs, but he's always in the right position, as I said, to connect play. Because he's making the right choices and players are putting him in a spot to succeed, it opens up the whole game, both vertically and horizontally. But Roberto, he has to operate in smaller spaces. He just, he cannot, not even physically, def I'm not talking about defending. I'm not talking about covering ground. I'm talking about the decisions he makes and the quickness in which he makes those turns and makes those decisions. He doesn't open up the field vertically for anybody. It's, I mean, it's also no secret that Lewandowski got his chances with Pedri on the field and the Lewandowski's chances he just didn't have as many good chances when Roberto steps in. So again, it's not a knock on Roberto. It's that what people fear about that second leg is that the drop-off from Pedri to Roberto is just too great a drop-off for Bar Barcelona to survive. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine 
perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I mean, what a comparison. Sergio Roberto is decent at everything mm-hmm. and, and Petri is great at everything. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. You're, you're, you're comparing Robin to Batman here. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously it it hurt us in yesterday's match, and it also uh, is going to hurt us at at, at Old Trafford. Just like Dembélé is a much better yep. option than than Rafinha. Um, I thought I thought Rafinha was was fine yesterday, but it's not the same, one one or the other. And just like Christensen is is better than than Marcus Alonso. Although I repeat, Kunde was the problem in our defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had an absolute nightmare. So yeah, I mean, Old Trafford. We're gonna have to see if Busquets will probably be fit from what uh, from from the reports. So that will help us. And I guess it will be uh, Busquets, Frankie de Jong, and I suppose Kessie in in midfield. I think one of the issues here, besides the yeah, it it is very strange. Why would Xavi play Marcos Alonso? In these matches, but but the other issue is we don't have enough midfielders mm-hmm. for for Xavi to constantly play with four midfielders because that's when you cannot rest Pedri. That's when you cannot rest rest Frankie de Jong, who might also go out with an injury at some point um, because you just never rest them. And I think that's a problem, especially because I think it would be good for Ansu to get regular playing time uh, and not to not even come off the bench like the match versus Villarreal. Yeah. I mean, I'm not Xavi. Xavi knows a lot more about football than uh, than I do. He knows a lot more f- about football than both of us and all our listeners uh, combined. But from the outside looking in, these are things that raise questions, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's easy in the Liga when, again, this is a back line that in Spain, seven goals in 21 games, and then 14 goals against in seven games in Europe. 
And those are big enough numbers and such an unbelievable gap where you go, what is the difference? There has to be some kind of systemic difference other than the team. The team's getting so much better. The, the jump up from what the competition that they can't seem to, that being the opposition, can't seem to figure Xavi out in Spain. And then you go there to Europe and it's a totally different game. So like there are little things though, like against Cadiz on Sunday, I would say when you know that that's a team that's going to play in a low block, not even a mid block, a low block. And you, as you said, are, are short on midfielders. That's one of those games where it's like, you, you've got to start Pablo Torre. Like it, it's one of those things where if you don't start that kind of player in that kind of situation, like, cause he is an attacking midfielder against a low block, like, and with just four midfielders, like that's my concern. My concern is the same Barcelona concern that, Five years ago, six years ago, I'm talking about Valverde here on the same show where Valverde would make those decisions where I was like, it's totally defendable for any manager. It's so important that Barcelona win the league this year. And so it's totally defendable why Xavi wouldn't play Pablo Torre. Again, totally defendable that he would want Kessier, especially if Busquets is even fit on Sunday, which I'm not sure about. But if he is, I totally understand why you'd want, well, Gabi's not suspended for that one. So I think Gabi's starting. <laughs> That's an easy one. So Gabi, we know, will definitely start. So I totally oh. understand why. I, I think he suspended for both. Oh, right. Cause he, yeah. Cause he got the yellow card the other day too. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So great. So without Kavi, then it's kind of going to be a run out or a trial of, do you want to look at if Busquets is healthy, what Busquets and DeYoung and, and Kessie look like together? Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, that's, that's going to be the question. And if he's not fit, then obviously it has to be Paulo Torre or you're going to do some kind of Rafinha at the oh. 10 position and you do Ansu on the left and Farron on the right and Lewandowski up top. Like there are other options too. Like this is where Chavi is going to have to kind of, figure this out with, with the limited options that he has. And this is, again, another thing where Laporta went big with the signings he got, and he brought in some really important players that are going to help Barcelona win the Liga. But another problem comes in Europe when the depth of your squad is questioned. And that's that's where those questions come from. You know, I not, not to always put blame on Bartomeu for everything. I guess I want to hear from you about the referee stuff in a second too, but you know, I can't bar- blame Bartomeu on everything, but we can constantly blame Bartomeu on the depth of Barcelona squad for the next even two seasons. I mean, I, I think the depth of, of, of the squad is, is very strong except for midfield and in midfield, it was not a, a lack of planning, but it was lacking the foresight to, uh, you know, we spoke about this for Nico Gonzalez and, and, and Pianis. We should have kept one. And I also think that, the club and Xavi in particular expected more from Pablo Torre. I believe that if Pablo Torre is not playing, then there is a very good reason yeah. for this. Meaning he, he is nowhere near ready to play. Sometimes people forget that, you know, just because you have uh, Gavi playing for us when he's 16 years old, just because Perry came from Segunda Bay and slotted right in like those things are very much not normal the normal thing would be for a 19 year old kid who plays in the third league to come to barcelona and even though he looked great in the third uh third division for barcelona he's not good enough well that 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 is that is normality so i also want to i want to add a caveat too with about paulatory that in the third division of what I saw from him from Racing Santander, he always had two defensive midfielders in behind him. And he was playing almost as a Antoine Griezmann role Atletico Madrid. Like he was much farther forward of the field, almost as a secondary striker. And now he's being asked because it's a different system at Barcelona that doesn't even revolve around him. He's being asked to be an interior. And so it's not like you're saying, oh, he look at his highlights, look at his goals, look at the assists that he had in the third division. I can guarantee even of what we've seen from him in the Champions League against Victoria Pilsen, and those small stuff that we've seen from him, it's not 
the issue is not him on the ball and him going forward or him creating chances and things like that. It seems like he is. That's why he was signed by Barcelona because of those skills inherently that he had. But he's a being asked to play a different position, as you said, as a 19 year old and B to press and to understand the defensive nuances that Xavi is asking for him. I mean, look how many months it took Kessier to even or to Kessie for to finally even get this opportunity to be there. Right. So if if we're going to be if we're not going to be patient with with Kessie, then we certainly have to be patient with Pablo Torre. And I think I think that's certainly something to remember. Not only is he a young player, but the things that he has to learn are things that he had never been taught before. And he has to digest them at the highest level. So that's why you're not seeing him. And again, that's why you say against Cadiz, is he ready for that kind of test? That's the, that's the level you go. That's where he has to be able to be able to get to that level. Or yeah, Barcelona might have to say, hey, this is kind of almost a wasted year for him. He didn't pick it up quick enough. No, I think it's a wasted year. So, you know, how are you going to play him for Cadiz when he he never even gets five minutes? Yeah. So that that that's why, like, I'm... Completely not, not not counting on Pablo Torre. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do we do have Sergio Roberto, and he'll play. He, yeah, he'll play. He, he he cannot do the things that Pedri can, but he's an intelligent player, and he can hopefully play and not look completely lost. Uh, I mean, well, but that's my yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. If you if you if you don't rotate, if you want to rotate Kunde on the weekend, then doesn't Roberto play it right back? I, I mean, there's, there's, ah, there's okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Against Cadiz, you can play Sergio Roberto at right back as well. I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about what we're going to do in uh, in Manchester. Gavi and Pedri out. Um, I, I also think that, you know, depth-wise, Ansu and Ferran have uh, disappointed this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we have a bunch of players who, on paper, uh, would provide excellent depth. Uh, actually, on paper, Ansu should be a starter. But they're having very difficult years for very different reasons. The reason why Anzo is having a difficult difficult year is completely different than why Ferran is having a difficult year, which is completely different why Pablo Torre is not assimilating our, our style of play and why he's not up to snuff. The good news is that Kessi seemed like a very poor fit for the whole first half season, but in different midfield roles and positions, he is now actually starting to look decent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at least at least there's one thing to be to be excited about. I agree with you about yeah. Kessie about Kessie yesterday. I think I not to say I didn't necessarily feel like Barcelona missed Busquets. I think that's that's with the compliment I would give Kessie. I didn't feel like he detracted in a way that there was such a big drop off when Roberto came on for Pedri that I saw, as opposed to saying if if Busquets was in that game instead of Kessie, the only thing that changes is Frankie de Jong's role. Uh, quite a bit because again, I think De Jong was much deeper starting from that that spot between the three the three center backs, and that does limit Barcelona and their ability to get forward on the attack. That said, that game was so wide open, it felt like you. Why would you want to put De Jong in that situation in, in that kind of way? But okay, to to go over a few more things from this game yesterday, I think you know just to this is not a hot take. I'm going to call it off as much as I can. Both Ten Hag and Xavi have arguments for why the refs kind of didn't give them what they probably might have deserved. But because both of them have arguments, I kind of have to say it's a wash. But we can also say, you know, maybe the ref got it wrong on two occasions and both teams deserved free kicks when they didn't get it. I mean, there was, and Fred was a part of both of them, as you mentioned, <laughs> with the, on, on, on Jordi Alba in the first half. I mean, maybe that was a penalty. Awful, awful, awful close. No, I mean, no, it was close. He, but... he, no, he, he, he got the ball. Which is how, fair. Um, like, I agree with you. 
Yeah. How, how, exactly. However, in, in, in the first half, and nobody talks about this, Varane literally like wrapped his arms uh, around, Lewandowski, uh, yeah. around Lewandowski for maybe for more than a second, maybe mm-hmm. two seconds. And, you know, I, I don't understand how that is not a penalty. Then the handball? Uh, the handball is textbook penalty. There's yep. there's no there's no discussion. The the arm is away from the body. So you know, f- three four years ago, referees had more uh, leeway to to decide whether whether it was intentional or not. But that that led to so much discussion that they re- rewrote the rules. And now it's very clearly, hey, it doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. If your arm is um, if your arm is not like uh, in front of your body or is stuck to your side. But if your arm is actually open, out wide, then it's hands. Uh, it's a handball, and that's it. The Kunde challenge, I think it's a red card. Mm-hmm. But I've looked at it 20 times this morning from different angles, and I still can't figure out where exactly the contact happens, or at least with which part of the body Kunde clashes into the other. I, I think it's simply because I'm, the angles that they showed on Spanish TV are not clear enough. And there must be some other angle available somewhere where they clearly show that it is a foul because I think that Kunde fouls him. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a super clear view on it. Of course, if that is ruled a foul, then it's a red card, no question. Because Rashford was through on goal. Yeah, I mean I would agree with I would agree with that too, that I, I think both managers, as I said, have an argument for, you know, kind of getting gypped and not getting what they deserve, but because they both got gypped and they both didn't get what they deserved. That we just kind of move on from it and say, hey, you know, the, the ref did a poor job. I hope he doesn't get another big job like that again for a little while until he goes back. And, you know, refs are people too. So he's got to improve what he's trying to do. And maybe the VR specialist has got to get better his job too. But yeah, yeah as far I'm, as even... This, I'm, I mean, as far as, as far as the Kundevon goes, I, I think that there is sufficient doubt that VAR should not intervene in that one. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that the ref doesn't see it. From where I sat in the stadium and I sat like right right at that side i didn't think it was a foul at all mm-hmm. uh and like i said since, since none of the replays clearly show up is he pushing him in the back um is he is there contact between the legs i i, I don't know you tell me what was the foul exactly it just, it looked like it just uh, almost an extension of the arm to me but again that was just me seeing it. The, the arm i have to go back and watch it again that's what i'm saying okay I don't know so happened, yeah so like that's how unclear it is. Nobody knows exactly like how Kunde fouled the guy. It just mm-hmm. feels like a foul. So, but that's why I understand that VAR could not intervene. But the handball, like I understand the referee not seeing it. What I don't understand is VAR not saying, "Hey, yeah, this is handball. It's it's super clear. It's textbook." And that's what it is: clear and obvious. I, yeah, and it, so it, yeah, there there been. is no there is no room for any doubt mm-hmm. on that call. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, and I think, you know, it's funny about the, even the, the VAR and, and those moments, right? Because I think Old Trafford, you know, not preaming it too much, but I think Xavi is likely going to just, quote, quote, get it right at the back. I think you expect Balde, Christensen, Araujo, and Kunde in that order. And Xavi's just going to go with that at Old Trafford on mm-hmm. the back line. And with that back four, like, I want to remind people, though, because Xavi, I think, made the mistake, if you will, with personnel and to your point, not even saying Alonso in the starting lineup with Alba, I'm saying having Kunde and Naraho not switch earlier when Rashi was coming through the middle, I don't think Xavi's going to make those same mistakes. And the question for me kind of does become Gabi and Pedri and not being able to control that match is how Manchester United are going to break through. We know that. But behind, but against that back four, 
I'm not sure how the goals are going to come. And the only answer I come up with is, you know, just to quickly talk about the, the three goals that happen. I mean, Barcelona, they get their first goal from Alonso on a header at the back post where that's just a mistake by Manchester United. As I said, like that's not, not to take anything away from the header, but he was like wide open. <laughs> like they, like Fred and Juan Masaka gave Alonso way too much room. He just headed it in. That's textbook, like training ground stuff, easy stuff for him. And then the goals, even the, the goal scored by, by Rashford even was like, yeah, I mean, it was tough because again, it was a near angle for, it was a near post angle for Tessang and probably should have saved it. And again, Alonzo kind of forced him wide, but you'd also expect in that moment, I think Christensen catches up to Rashford and blocks that shot. I don't even think that shot gets off with Christensen. And then you go to the, the, the second goal is scored by United. Again, it's just fluky. It's like Kunde, you clear that. He clears it every time, except he didn't. It heads, it heads off him, goes in the back of the net. That's your second goal. And then the fourth goal, the Rafinha one, I mean, that's just a, almost an act of God, <laughs> the way that that one bounced somehow through Lewandowski, through Baran, and and, Pat, and De Gea never saw it. And, th- and they go, that's how you get your four goals. So I feel like as much as people are saying, well, boo-booing that, or poo-pooing that oh, uh, Manchester United now are so much more talented because of without Gabi, without Pedri, then without Dembele, that Barcelona's going to be a lot of trouble. But again, I want to remind you that Xavi got it wrong and somehow survived to get out with a 2-2 draw with all four goals being completely fluky. So like there is a world that I want to remind people to be too optimistic here that Barcelona go to Old Trafford and Lewandowski, who should not care what ground it is, just goes off, scores an early goal, first 10 minutes, Lewandowski just class goal, finishes off from kind of some kind of cross from from Kunde or from Rafinha, likely Rafinha on the right, crosses in, Lewandowski heads it in and Barcelona have one nothing in the first 10 minutes. And it just looks like an actual goal as opposed to just more fluky stuff and nonsense. And I, I just, I don't think it's as simple as Barcelona are less talented because I think this tie is going to be decided by again, VAR, some kind of nonsense that's, that's going to exist in that space. Because as you said, we watched Bayern Munich and PSG, like when it comes to the top level, as much as we don't want to admit it, like fluky stuff and weird stuff and not the prettiest goals, like even the best clubs win that way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Bayern was better than Paris Saint-Germain for like uh, 75 minutes. Uh, yeah. and then they almost concede twice. The goals were weird. Like, I didn't even know that Rafinha scored until I got home mm-hmm. and uh, and checked on my phone. From the sta- in, in the stadium, everybody thought Lewandowski scored, or at least everybody at my end, because I was at the opposite end. Uh, what I might be worried about is we go to Old Trafford, and Xavi will want us to play like Barcelona play, but we can't play like Barcelona play with Cassie in the midfield. Cassie in the midfield and and also Rafinha um, on the right wing. They their, their their style kind of clashes with the rest. Like Dembele has finally figured out how to actually uh, play positionally sound foot, uh, football and to do like the the short passes that we would expect Barcelona players to to be capable of. Uh, in addition to all of the other things that he's good at. Uh, but Rafinha has not assimilated those ideas yet. Neither has Cassie. The, the game plan that we go to uh, Manchester United with and wanting to control the match, like we might not be best equipped to, to follow the normal Barcelona blueprint that Xavi, Xavi advocates. Well, I mean, even tactically, I mean, the lineup will likely have to be different. Like he'll he'll likely that being Xavi have to play a four three three because you can't play the three two five even in build up. Because I mean, I guess you can. Roberto can push forward in that role. We've seen it before. We saw it, but again, now you're talking Luis Enrique era. Last time we saw Roberto really in a spot 
as that high right interior. Uh, yeah, but he's always he's always been um, like when Roberto played like the the on, on the right wing for Luis Enrique and for Paul yeah. Valera. There's only one match in that in which that worked, which was the four yeah. uh, 0 in against uh, Madrid. But every every other time that he plays there, he's he's been horrible. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I would probably play Busquets and uh, and Frankie at the base of the midfield uh, and put Cassie in front of them because mm-hmm. Cassie can get forward and uh, and attack the opponent's box, but yeah. we're looking at a, a, a we're looking at a very different kind of football there. And there, there I say it, we might need to be a little bit more conservative with uh, with our style of play. Yeah, I mean, either De Jong has to bring his long balls coming over from the left. And I think that's been interesting, too, that I think Kessie has been better on the left than he has on the left side more than he has been the right. So that would be the concerning thing that we know that De Jong, with Busquets coming back, will likely, if they set up in the base of that midfield, to be on the left. And then, again, his long balls are going to have to be pretty good. But Kessie is going to be pushing forward on the right side as that high interior. And, yeah, I mean, it it hasn't been great there. So, yeah, Xavi has certainly a lot to think about. But last little thing here, and I just kind of want to ask you about this. This is one of those stories that, I haven't had really the time to dig into it because I think for me, the Spanish translations and getting this information in Spanish is more important than it is trying for me trying to figure out what I'm getting a from secondhand or third case reporting coming from, I'm not going to mention the publications, but certain publications just kind of taking a story about Barcelona getting in trouble, referees, da, 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 they hear those words and you run with it. And I want to make sure that I'm not getting the information from there. Because I think that's where a lot of the English media coverage was coming from, as opposed to just getting it straight from what's happening here. What do you know about this story about Barcelona, Bartomeu, and and how that's all gonna all gonna land out with Barcelona? To my understanding, what yes, giving some kind of money for the former VP of referees. Never a boring day, huh? Um, no. I mean, not a lot is known. They they found payments up to one point four million over three years between 2016 and 2018 from Barcelona to the then incumbent uh, VP of uh, of the referee of the committee of referees or the technical committee of referees would be a translation that's what they found it's being said or at least Bartomeu has said these payments or that Barcelona had been paying that guy since 2001 and that he inherited the payments and that he's the one who eventually discontinued the payments so that means that Gaspar and Laporta were also keeping up those payments. The club says that it's for reports on players. Honestly, I have no idea why you would pay a referee for reports on players. And for reports on referees, there is also a story that broke out where it was said that the, the VP in question uh, tried to blackmail the club when. Bartomeu wanted to stop paying the guy and uh, threatened us with um, uh, making everything public. It's it's just such an incredibly weird story. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, well, it's more than a story because the payments, at least from 2016 to 2018, are true. There, there, there's not one league season in in which we had more calls in favor than against compared to to our main competitors yeah you know so why would they pay this guy it doesn't it doesn't make any sense madrid madrid pays uh an ex-referee for the same services 
to compile com reports on on referees. And I can understand why clubs do that. But why would you do that to somebody who is an active member of that committee? All I know is that when names like Gaspar and and Bartomeu are attached to things, you know it's going to be good news. You know it's going to be good news for the club and, and everything's going to work out <laughs> with, with those kind of names. So, yeah. Well, anyway, so I think that's the... Apparently, these payments almost also happens under Laporta for eight years, yeah. uh, albeit for a lesser sum. But still, like, why would why would he pay this guy? It makes no sense. Barcelona always like this club always wants to self sabotage, and we always shoot ourselves in the foot. It's exasperating, to be honest. Yep. It is. It is. But uh, for those for those kind of stories and Manchester United ties and whatever it is. Again, we're cool days for a reason. So I would appreciate everybody who's listening to the show. Again, keep coming back. Uh, also, give him a follow, as always, on Twitter. Barcelev down in the show notes below. Twitter and Instagram. No, guys, please don't follow me. Or don't follow him. Either way. Um, hey, I just want to give a quick shout out to, uh, to one of our listeners, Adam, who uh, linked up with me when uh, he was at Barcelona for, uh, for the Sevilla game. We had a couple of drinks before going to the stadium. Great guy. Great conversation really knows his stuff. Take care, buddy. Hope you're listening to the show today. Yeah, so not only thanks to Adam, but again, a reminder that it's not just us talking into, into the abyss. It is a good reminder that there are actually people here. And while I am always stuck in my bunker here in New York, again, Levon and Emil and so many of other guests are out there in the stadium and in Barcelona and in places all around the world. Again, a, a reminder, as I said on the show last week against Villarreal, that if you have a Pena or you're anywhere near a city or anywhere near, near a, a big metropolitan area, hit up your local Pena's. Google it, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So many of those Pena's are available there. So hook up with your local Pena. Uh, and again, remember, this is a, a whole community, not just that. So again, that will actually wrap up the show. So until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.